my son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. Faster my crazy day, my packed commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. <laughs> Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked On Vikings on the Locked On Podcast Network returns with a fan favorite. His name is Luke Inman checking in on this rainy Tuesday on Twitter at Luke underscore Spinman. He's a contributor to ZoneCoverage.com, Ultimate Elite Draft Content. He also hosts the Draft Wrap, the podcast which has the best guests on to analyze the upcoming NFL Draft. Luke Inman, the man himself, joining Locked On Vikings. Good morning. Freak it out a little bit, Sam. Nine days until the NFL Draft. I just can't stand it. My favorite time of year, the time of year where every team, no matter who you root for, it's very optimistic time of the year because your team should get better this upcoming NFL Draft weekend with all those draft picks. Yeah, there's a lot of hope being sold right now, that's for sure. I don't know how you've slept the past few days because you've been cranking out content at a record pace. You've got 2,000 words on tight ends and 3,000 words on running backs and just all sorts of meaty, meaty stuff. And we're not talking just day one, guys. We're talking days one through three, rounds one through seven. You've got it all. I don't know where to start. Let's talk about your most recent article, I guess. Uh, Deep dive on tight ends. It is a deep dive tight ends class and that seems to sort of be the theme with a lot of the skill positions the running backs are great the tight ends are great wide receivers are all right but tight ends I mean the Vikings could be in in business for a third tight end to complement Kyle Rudolph and David Morgan obviously they're not going to get a guy like OJ Howard he is in a class of his own who is maybe your favorite day three tight end I know you focused on a number of them in the article Yeah, I'm sure my editor wasn't too happy when I processed these articles, Sam. They weren't supposed to be this deep, but I'm telling you, this class is loaded with with what you just said. Day two and day three guys at the running back, cornerback, and what we weren't talking about now, the tight end position. Uh, You want to talk about a few guys that should slip down and get pushed down a little bit further than their talent says because of a deep draft class. I'm looking at a guy like Jake Butt from Michigan. That's an easy one right there. A guy that any other draft would go in the first round. Tore his ACL in the bowl game. You know, a lot of these kids are thinking about sitting out the bowl game. Jake Butt's a reason why. Tore his ACL in the bowl game. First round talent, though. Got that big boy size. Flip on the tape. And you'll see the Michigan offense ran through this guy anytime they needed a big-time play, whether it's to move the chains in the first down or a big play 
in the red zone. Jake Belt was the man, so the spotlight isn't too big. He's used to that pressure, and that's a guy that if you can get in the third or fourth round, you're getting great value as long as that knee checks out. I'll give you one more. My favorite small school guy from Ashland, Adam Shaheen, a guy that, yeah, he dominated small school competition, so you got to worry about how is he going to transfer to the next level when everybody's faster, stronger, and bigger. But this guy dominated, and I mean dominated at 280 pounds. He can move for a big man, and he can do a little bit of everything. He's another one of these uh, former basketball players, and he looks every bit the part down in the red zone. He posts up and goes up and attacks the ball in the red zone at its highest point. He's very physical. Looks like he's catching alley-oop passes down low under the basket. Scored a, a school record 16 touchdowns. So he's far from being a polished tight end, Sam, but the size and tools that he brings to the table, it's what coaches dream about. So third, fourth round, somewhere in that range, I'm all over it. You mentioned Kyle Rudolph had a great year last year, arguably his best year as a Viking. But in the six years that he's played, Sam, only three of them has he played all 16 games. So you got to keep that in the back of your mind. If you were to ever go down, how thin is that tight end group now with Red Elson out? You're really banking on last year's rookie, David Morgan. So bringing another tight end into the mix is certainly going to be a priority. Luckily, this class is loaded to do it. Yeah, when you talk about Rudolph, he has had success in the red zone but I don't feel like it's necessarily because of his size or his athletic ability. I think he finds himself open a lot of times because of a well-devised play or a nice route that he ran, but rarely does Rudolph go up and over somebody to make a catch. I feel like he did that more earlier in his career. You see a number of drop balls, too, from Rudolph when he tries to elevate and make a catch, and he did have a good year last year from a stat standpoint, and I'm not knocking him for that. I do think, though, that there is room on this Vikings roster for someone more athletic, someone who can jump a little bit. You outlined some of the verticals uh, in this tight end class, some outstanding measurables, hand size, vertical jump, broad jump. I mean, what are you looking for in these tight ends? What measurables do you think are going to indicate future success? Well, it's a good question, Sam, and I think ultimately you got to look at what your offense and offensive coordinator want to do, and I think with the full offseason under Pat Shermer, it's going to be very interesting to see when we get into training camp in Mangano next year, the new kind of plays and formations we implement. Uh, is it going to be a lot of big 12 personnel with two tight end? Are we going to spread them out a lot with three, four, five wide receiver? Maybe see a guy like Jarek McKinnon out in the slot. I don't know what we're going to get, but if I'm building a team, Sam, the way the NFL is built now, I'm looking for guys that can give me one-on-one -on -one mismatches. Rob Gronkowski and Jimmy Graham were kind of the first two to do it. Guys that you can get out from in line and move them out wide and get a matchup on a linebacker, and it's an extreme mismatch. So bigger, more athletic guys that I can develop. I trust my coaching instincts to develop these guys. They're, they're uh, raw size and speed. A guy like Eric Saubert is another small school guy from Drake, but 33 and a half inch arms, 10 and 3 eighth inch hands, monster length and size. And again, guys that down in the red zone, I can uh, I can put up in a favorable matchup, like you said about Kyle Rudolph, and, and let them just go up and get it with that natural size and strength on a smaller linebacker um, or, or, you know, a smaller cornerback or a, mm -hmm. a slower linebacker, things like that. I'm just looking for the mismatch. So Saubert would be another one from Drake. Michael Roberts, 
scored 16 touchdowns last year alone. So if you want a red zone machine, Michael Roberts from Toledo is a guy that popped off the tape when I was watching a, a fan favorite here in Minnesota, Kareem Hunt. I know a lot of Vikings fans wants to pick up another running back, and Kareem Hunt, it seems to be a sexy name. Michael Roberts, a teammate of his, 6'4", 270 pounds, so very thick, can, can block in line, but a guy that, again, helps you dominate in the red zone. I worry, again, Sam, not to reiterate, but Kyle Rudolph would ever go down. Uh, you got to have a backup plan in place, plan A, plan B, plan C. Drafting one of these tight ends is certainly got to be in the mix. Yeah, that's a great point. You probably don't want to give the keys to David Morgan alone. He seems like more of a complimentary guy, a guy that you had on the draft wrap a few weeks ago. Let's talk about running backs for a minute here, Luke. Deontay Foreman, that's a guy who I feel like Vikings people have been whispering about. He may have met with the Vikings at one point was 250 in college, has trimmed that down to about 235, has incredible speed for that size. Are you at all concerned about the playing weight, at what it was? Are you afraid at all that it could maybe balloon into an Eddie Lacy thing where that weight goes back on too easily and he slows down a bit? Or do you think that his ability to lose the weight demonstrates his work ethic and the effort that he's put into this pre-draft process? What do you think of Foreman? Yeah, another good question. I, I I don't worry about the weight too much for two reasons. One, every year around this time, around the combine, these guys try so hard to make sure the the height, weight, speed, when they go into measurables down at the, the senior bowl and the combine, uh, they're as trim and as quick as they can get. Not really realistic for, for their actual playing weight and ideal playing conditions. Foreman is a bruiser, okay? I don't need him. I'm not going to ask him. Uh, to, to, to run a lot of routes, to, uh, you know, get out, out in space and make a lot of plays. Um, that's not his style. If you're asking him to do that, you're doing it wrong. Foreman is a bruiser in between the tackles. He's got great, quick, choppy feet and tight space. He moves the chains. Um, he's not just a boring, stereotypical tackle runner either. He, I mean, he's, he'll surprise some people with some good athleticism for 235 or 240. I, I expect him to get back up to that 240 range. Um, that's where I'd like to see him at. But I like him a lot, Sam. I really do. And any other draft, I think he's a late first-round pick. And, and when you got guys this year like Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, um, obviously the big one, Leonard Fournette should go in the top 10. All these guys are getting pushed down. So Foreman, I think, is an early third-round candidate. Uh, Vikings would have to use maybe maybe um, an early pick on a guy like that. But, mm-hmm. but again, uh, when you look at what the Vikings lacked last year, and obviously a lot of this had to do with the offensive line, how many times, though, Sam, did we sit there and watch third and one or fourth and inches down at the goal line, game on the line? They couldn't convert those short area situations. And I think getting a guy like Foreman, a bruiser, that's the kind of guy I want to bring in. I want to be able to turn a weakness into a strength. And certainly this this class has plenty of running backs to do so. Dante Foreman might be my favorite, though, if you need an in-between-the-tackle bruiser. Well, we may as well get controversial. What do you think of Joe Mixon running back out of Oklahoma? The Vikings met with them earlier in the offseason. A lot of different opinions here, Luke, and I I feel like some have him going in the first round and some have him dropping to the third day because of those off-the-field issues. Where do you stand? 
Yeah, I, I, personally, Sam, if I'm building a team, I'm not touching a running back in the first round regardless of their talent. I think it's a position that's watered down. I think it's a position that you can get guys late in the draft. You can pound them for three, four years, throw them to the curb, and draft a couple other ones. It's sad to say, but really, I wouldn't want to be a running back in today's day and age anymore. The, the, the career expectancy length just isn't what it used to be. It's very rare to find these decade-long Adrian Peterson-type running backs now. Saying that, Joe Mixon is arguably the best talent at his position of anybody in the class, and and that's hard for a, a lot of people to hear. It's a that's a tough pill to swallow, but you can't really draw them up any better with perfect balance, lightning speed, uh, big physical. Uh, mentality uh, uh, that's really going to thrive in the NFL. He was the number one recruit going back out of high school, and he played like it coming out into Oklahoma as well. He's a special talent. He's been like that his whole life, and he's a guy that anytime he touches the ball can really hit the home run, and I think that puts a lot of you know scare into defenses. So a lot of off-the-field mistakes. Well, I should say the one big off-the-field mistake, uh, teams are going to have to determine whether that's something that's uh, some sort of pattern or you know could come up again, or if they're even willing to overcome that and, and kind of uh, uh, you know move on from that. I'm not sure a lot of teams will. I'm sure we'll get to draft weekend. I'm sure he'll be off at least 15 to 20 different draft boards, leaving only 10 different teams that are viable options for him. Saying that, I think he's he's a, a top 60 pick at the end of the day. I mean, really, he's a top 15 pick. Teams are going to say it's just too good of value after already using a first-round pick to go now in the second round and kind of get a freebie, so to speak. So, um, you know, it, it's certainly uh, the biggest wild card of this whole entire draft. There's one every year. I think Jabril Peppers is another one, but Joe Mixon, certainly with that big playability, where is he going to go in a deep running back class, too, that's probably going to push him down? Um, it'll be interesting to say at the end of the day, I think he's a top 60 pick. And if he gets in the right PR machine in the NFL, they will rehabilitate his image so quickly that I, right. I, and I'm not saying this is right, but I'm saying within one year of being drafted, he will be a fan favorite. That's just the way that the fan functions. I think, you know, they're quick to forgive if people are performing and if people are putting on display a good personality, a good heart, I'm sure they'll have him doing charity events. He'll be saying all the right things. And whether it's authentic or not, and I don't know how contrived some of these things get, I know for a fact how well these PR departments function. So I, I know Joe Mixon will probably, unless he steps out of line again, he'll integrate pretty well into the NFL. I have no doubt about that. Well, and the thing just stemming off that, Sam, is it, there's not a long list of, you know, there's not a laundry list of, of dirty things that he's done. It's really the one big, and it was a colossal mistake, but it was really just the one um, kind of event it, when he was a, a freshman too. So just burst on the scene at Oklahoma, 18 years old. Um, so that's the thing if you're a team that I guess, oddly enough, it's hard to say, but makes you feel a little bit better, makes you sleep a little bit easier at night if you're going to use a top 60 pick on them.
Is Democracy in Danger or Decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst. You mentioned Kareem Hunt a little bit earlier, the Toledo kid that you were watching film of when you noticed Michael Roberts. Kind of a smaller guy, 5'11", 215, not not too different from Jarek McKinnon. Do you think he fits into what the Vikings are trying to do offensively, or do you think he's too similar to McKinnon? Is he different enough that he could complement what the Vikings already have? Yeah, I think so. Kareem Hunt, I mean, 216, I think really his more playing uh, weight ideally was act- actually about 221 when I talked to him down at the Senior Bowl. So uh, I think he, like most others, kind of trimmed down for the combine. But um, despite that maybe smaller, lanky frame, he-, he can be a bruiser, I mean, late in the game. I think he's a guy that you can give the ball 15 times to uh, and start to wear down some defenses. Probably the best balance of any running back I, I-, I watched all year. He was an early gem in the process. But uh, Hunt, certainly a guy that, uh, again, a threat to take any touch to the house. His last game of his career, he had five touchdowns and 271 yards to cap off his collegiate career. So uh, he's certainly a guy that, again, he, he was more of my hidden gem earlier on. He's certainly been exposed now to this point. I'm not sure you're getting quite the value that I hoped you were going to get early in the process. But certainly a guy that I think would fit well with the Vikings in the fact that, you know, you've got your bruiser with Latavius Murray. I think that's what they brought him in to do. He's big. He's physical. He's a guy that, again, is going to help you on those third and one short yardage situations. Jarek McKinnon's a special athlete. Uh, he really, if you remember, tore up the combine. Uh, some really crazy numbers, even including things like the bench press. Uh, he's a very special athlete that they just need to utilize him more and find different ways to get him the ball, whether that's in the backfield or whether it's out in the slot, uh, matched up on a linebacker. He's had great success there, and I think it's it's Pat Shermer's job this offseason to find different ways to get uh, McKinnon involved, and I think the passing game is one of them. When you do that, it opens up more touches for somebody else on the ground to compliment Murray. I think Kareem Hunt would make a lot of sense. Where do you have to draft him, though? Originally, I thought he could be a day three gem. I'm not sure that um, he's going to last that long anymore. So even in a deep class where everybody's going to get pushed down, I think he's a, a, a top three from the steam that I'm picking up, a, a, you know, top three round guys. So do you want to use a running back that early with other needs like defensive tackle with Sharif Floyd out, outside linebacker with Chad Greenway retiring? Obviously two offensive linemen need to be brought in. And then other things that we mentioned, the tight end, uh, wide receiver needs a little bit more depth. And then you get to running back. So plenty of guys for the picking later on in the draft. As much as I love Hunt, if you got to go super early, personally, I think I'd wait. There's a whole bunch of different directions they can go for sure. We're talking to Luke Inman at Luke underscore Spinman, elite draft analyst, zonecoverage.com. I was looking at your four-round mock. Yes, a four-round mock with analysis of each pick. It's really tremendous. I think the most intriguing round in the draft for the Vikings is round number three because you've got 
two picks in the third round. That gives you flexibility to either trade up if you want, or you can maybe trade down and just build up those day three picks. You have the Vikings staying put, and I don't blame you for not trying to toss in some trades in, in a third round mock, but you have the Vikings taking Caleb Brantley of Florida and Isaac Asiata of Utah. First of all, on Brantley, I think you got pretty unlucky here because didn't you publish this one day before he got into a fight with a female? That's right. Of course I did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, classic. Do you think that makes him fall a, a few rounds? Yeah, I think so. Anytime you got some off-the-field stuff, uh, you, you start to readjust your board. You remember um, even the day of last year, Larmy Tunsil, arguably the number one overall pick, uh, gets caught with the smoking device and then uh, ends up falling to the Miami Dolphins in the team. So, I mean, you never know what's going to happen. That's why these GMs and these war rooms, these scouting teams, they have plan A, plan B, plan C. They're ready to roll, and they know they can adjust on the fly. It's too bad. Brantley, another Florida defensive tackle, fits the bill and reminds you of Sharif Floyd with how quick he is off the ball, with how well he can penetrate the pocket and move the quarterback off his, off his mark and let everybody else kind of clean up the mess. Guys like that would be Donnell Hunter, Everson Griffin, Anthony Barr. So um, I, I just think that it's time to move on and prepare for the worst like Sharif Floyd won't ever play again because it sounds like that's how serious that injury really is. Now, I'm going to play devil's advocate on the defensive tackle position. To me, I feel like you wait a little bit longer on defensive tackle just because you look at what you have. You have Joseph anchoring the whole thing, Shamar Stefan in a contract year, Dayton Jones probably going to move inside, Brian Robinson the ability to move inside. You might get something from Tom Johnson if he gets healthy. You hope you do at least. Toby Johnson last year showed some flashes. To me, I feel like you're actually okay at defensive tackle. A lot of people saying that they should go after Brantley or McDowell or Chris Wormley. To me, I feel like it's more of a day three need. A lot of people disagreeing with that. Where do you stand? Yeah, it's a fair point, Sam. I mean, Shamar Stefan is a seventh-round pick out of UConn. Has really developed nicely. I mean, great value, but he's more of a uh, another run-stuffing guy. I mean, he's really not that three-tech or that penetrating defensive pass-rushing tackle that you need opposite of a guy like Linval Joseph, who's soaking up those two, three blocks and really freeing up that guy to get in the backfield. Stefan's been a great development pick but I don't think he fits the bill as a pass rushing defensive tackle. Dayton Jones is the wild card for me. He's a guy that was arguably more of a defensive end coming out of UCLA, but I think that if you can uh, harness his skill set, he's more of a big, strong guy than a quick guy, but if you can harness his skill set and, and make him a, a pass rushing defensive tackle, then I think you're right. If you're comfortable with him as a three-tech spot, I think you're right. You can wait a little bit later. I just don't know their plan yet for, for Jones, and I know that in a game still won and lost in the trenches, that finding that uh, uh, final piece for your defensive line, as much talent as they have around them, is still going to be a priority because you saw towards the end of last year with Al Floyd not being able to generate a pass rush from the inside of the pocket really hurt the defense and the defensive scheme that they wanted to run. So you're right. If Jones can play that three-tech inside, I say wait, go address some other needs that we've talked about. If not, and you may not even know until training camp, and that's what's tough about this, but if not, uh, I think you, you have to at least consider defensive tackle in the first three rounds. You mentioned some great names, Chris Wormley, uh, Caleb Brantley from Florida, Dalvin Tomlinson I love from Alabama. 
Uh, Malik McDowell, though, is probably the, uh, another wild card in this draft. We mentioned Joe Mixon. We mentioned Jabril Peppers. This guy really shut it off towards the end of the last year when they were out of the bowl game hunt. But when he was on, 6'6", 295, nobody moves like this for a big man and causes more havoc. Can you get him at 48? If you could, it's a no-brainer for me. You turn uh, you know, what's already arguably your, your strongest position even stronger. You dominate in the trenches with Malik Dowell from Michigan State. Um, argue, probably won't put my money on it, though, Sam. Probably going to go maybe top 40. Um, and then mm -hmm. at that point, you're going to have to, again, plan A, plan B, plan C. We'll see how it all unfolds in just nine days. Last one here with Luke Inman. In your second round projection, which you published one week ago, you had the Vikings going a best player avail available type route. You had them taking Curtis Samuel, wide receiver, Ohio State, big time playmaker, really, really fast. Not necessarily a position a lot of people have them taking in the second round, but you like the Samuel cat. Is this still your opinion? And do you see that opinion changing in the next nine days? Well, it's a tough spot. I mean, you know, we, we do the draft wrap every week, two hours every week. Check that out on zonecoverage.com. But I think ultimately, how do you know who's going to be there after 47 different picks go off the board? So uh, somebody like a Jabril Peppers or a Curtis Samuel from Ohio State, running back slash receiver, big playmaker in that Percy Harvin mold, uh, maybe a big-name cornerback, maybe Zach Cunningham, an outstanding mm -hmm. outside linebacker. You just don't know who's going to be there yet, Sam, at 48. So it's a tough game to play. I just try to give uh, my readers uh, uh, some options and some understanding that one, hopefully one of these maybe five or six guys, like a Taylor Moten, offensive tackle from Western Michigan, Dan Feeney, a guard from Indiana, is a very uh, kind of in vogue pick right now around these parts. So uh, one of those guys should be there, and I just hope they don't reach on a position of need maybe offensive guard or tackle, if it's not there, passing up better talent. Because a guy like Curtis Samuel, again, I mentioned that Percy Harvin mold, he was explosive last year at Ohio State for the Buckeyes, scored the most touchdowns for them, 16 touchdowns, big play threat. Um, not really sure whether he's the running back or, or the receiver, kind of like a Ty Montgomery coming out. But I think, again, he's just a playmaker. You find different ways to get him the ball. If he were there and maybe your, your top offensive tackles and guards weren't, I say don't reach. And Spielman usually does a pretty good job at that. I think pull the trigger on a talented guy that should help you, again, on offense, start to produce and score some more touchdowns, Sam. He's Luke Inman. He is superb at draft analysis, not just first round, not just second round, but all the way through the draft. This is his hog heaven. And for the next nine days, you can follow his stuff, zonecoverage.com. He'll be covering the draft as well at Winter Park. Luke, thanks for your time. Thanks a lot, Sam. I'll talk to you soon. You bet. Draft wrap dropping today and Thursday. His name's Luke Inman, at Luke underscore Spitman on Twitter. I'm Sam Ekstrom, at Sam Ekstrom. This is Locked On Vikings. This is the Locked On Podcast Network.
Is Democracy in Danger or Decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst.